Now, let me tell you something. Let me say, when I was a kid, like a lot of people that want to be musicians, I was a freak, man. I would sit home all day and play a tennis racket to blasting Kiss, Led Zeppelin, you know, Deep Purple, you know, the, the heaviest stuff, Black Sabbath. You know, I just would stand there in the mirror and just make believe, just like fantasize with all of my might that I was on a stage playing. So when you're like, and there's a lot of kids that do that. So anything you see with like a guitar in it or an amplifier, you're just like, uh, it's like better than porn, you know? And, uh, <laughs> did I really say that? <laughs> okay, anyway. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Edit. It's time to rock and roll. So let's get on with the show. Hey, Hollywood, for this episode, we'll be doing another episode of Thanking the Greats. And this time, we are going to focus all our love, our man crush, on the six and seven string guitar messiah, Steve Vai. I'm excited about this one, and I know you are too, because you're a big Steve Vai fan, right? My favorite guitarist of all time, and you can send your hate mail to me, I don't care, Yes, my favorite guitarist is not Eddie Van Halen. It's not Randy Rhodes. It's not whoever else you think it should be. Yes, it is Steve Vai. I don't think you're necessarily going to be alone in that. I saw where Guitar Player Magazine or somebody voted Steve Vai the 10th greatest guitar player of all time, which that's pretty good in a list of all guitar players, right? That's pretty high up there. He is regarded as a guitar god, no doubt about it. I don't think you'll be alone in your love. I like Steve Vai a lot. Steve Vai is amazing, and uh, I'm excited to get into this episode. He has a documentary that was on YouTube that was about an hour and 15 minutes of kind of Vai history up until, I guess, Passion and Warfare, really, is where it all sort of ended, the documentary. Uh, and, of course, his career goes way beyond that with the uh, different acts tours that uh, generation acts tours that he's been involved with and things like that. And he's also got a he's had a couple of solo albums out way after Passion and Warfare as well. So we're going to talk about that documentary because I learned a couple of things that I didn't know about Steve Vai in that documentary. But before we do all of that. You know what we like to do here at the Grown Up Rock Podcast. We got to get into some new music, so crank it up.
It's time for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. All right, so tonight's Crank It Up New Music Spotlight comes to us from the Swiss band Chakra. We've featured this band before on the podcast. They had a record out a couple of years ago, right before COVID hit, called Mad World. And I think it ended up in my top 10. Sonny's a little iffy on the singer, uh, which I completely understand. Uh, He's got a little bit of the rough vocal thing going on, but they just released a new song and I'm going to talk a little bit about that after we play it, but here's the song, the way it is. Check it out. Let us know if you like Chakra.
Okay, so I listened to this today. Definitely's got ACDC flavor in the vocal. The riff and the catchiness of the song and the vocal melody is very super 80s in my bang zone. I will tell you the vocal on this song, it was listenable. I'm not sure I could handle a full album at one sitting of this dude, but this song, it was catchy enough and checked the rest of the boxes to where it was listenable for me. Yeah, so I think I remember that being where you fell with the last album, Mad World. I think there's a lot of good riffs. The riffs is what draws me in. I don't mind the gruffy vocals as long as I can understand what he's saying. So all in all, I like the band and their records. Here's the thing about this particular song. So there's not necessarily a new album coming. They just released a new song, but said because they put out Mad World right before COVID hit, that they're going to focus on touring now that they can tour again for that album in particular. So they're going to not necessarily start another cycle with a new album. They're going to still focus on Mad World, go out and support that on tour. Like I said, the band is from Switzerland, so they do pretty good business in their home country. The Swiss, I think the Swiss like their rock and roll, which that's cool with me. You know, if you can make a living there, bands like Chakra and Gothard and Crocus and et cetera, et cetera, there's some good bands that come out of the Swiss region. So I like the song, but again, it's just kind of a teaser because there is really no new album coming out. If you like what you heard, I would encourage you to go back and check out the album Mad World because there's more of that type stuff on it. And then check out the couple albums previous before Mad World because I think it's along the same lines. They have a lot of great riffs and uh, I dig the band. So check it out. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. Okay, so we saw this documentary. I think it's called Steve Vai, His First 30 Years. And this dude put a lot of work into this thing because this this is not just piecemeal together. Like, this took a long time. And he did a good job overall. But uh, like you said, it's about an hour 16. It's a pretty quick watch. There's not a lot of Steve Vai himself in it talking about himself or, you know, I think there was one uh, excerpt of an interview, but that was about it. It wasn't like he was selling himself. It felt more like a pop-up video like it used to be on MTV or like a PBS kids music history class, right? Yeah. And I thought the director did a good job of, hey, Here's the major bands we're going to kind of concentrate on. We're not going to talk about every little thing Steve had ever done. Did a good job and spent appropriate amount of time on his adolescent years and did a good job of explaining all the Zappa stuff because I didn't under I didn't really know all the Zappa stuff because honestly I didn't really care because I don't really like Zappa that much and uh, it's kind of before my time anyway. I thought the director did a really good job. Like that hour 16 flew by. Yeah, I agree. I think it was uh, weighted well, just like you said, where it gave you enough of his youth and his early years. It gave you enough of his time with Zappa. And then the director flat out came on and said, for this documentary, we're going to be focusing on these bands, right? And they focused on Whitesnake, Alcatraz, David Lee Roth band, and Steve's solo stuff. And that was it. 
after the Frank Zappa stuff, right? That was the stuff that they said they were going to focus on, and and that's pretty much what they did. Uh, so that was good. Yeah, I enjoyed it, and it went by quick, just as you said. So what did you learn from it? What new did you learn from it? I'll share with you what new I learned, because I'm a Steve Vai nerd, so I know probably more than the average fan. But this whole thing about, I thought it was interesting how he brought up when Steve first heard music at age four or five, he could see the music. It sounds cheesy, sounds a little weird, sounds not believable. But then when you listen to what Steve does, it wouldn't surprise me if it was partially true. Like there's something about the guy that's special. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you bring that up. Definitely, he sees things or hears things differently. And I think some of his time with Zappa and him reading some of those books in particular helped develop him or push him in that direction. I'll go back to an interview, the interview I did with Craig Goldie, I don't know, two, three years ago from Dio's band. Craig talked a lot about seeing colors for music. And I think that certain musicians, and Steve Vai is one of them, their brain is wired a little bit different than the average individual. And maybe it's all creative people, but definitely guys like uh, Steve Vai and and, uh, Craig Goldie, because he bought it up, those guys see things or hear things a little bit differently than the average person, I think. The biggest thing that I learned that for me was just, uh, I didn't know this and I don't know a whole lot about Vi. I knew who he was. I learned about him early on and we'll get into that as we go through some of our, uh, favorite tunes from Steve. But one of the biggest things for me or the shocker for me was that he took lessons from Joe Satriani. And the reason I say that is because I thought that, I knew Satriani had given lessons to, I think, Kurt Hammett and had taught some, he had some well-known students, but I thought Steve Vai was way before Satriani because I knew Steve Vai was playing with Frank Zappa in the 70s. So I didn't know Satriani was around before that. So that was a shocker to me. Yeah, they're only, I think, four or five years apart. So, you know, Satriani was probably like a teenager or an older teenager teaching a younger teenager type thing or just hit his early 20s. But yeah, the Vi started with Zappa right at 1980. That was really a, a shocker for me. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, it wasn't like it was Joe Satriani teaching Steve Vi, right? It was two kids <laughs> that weren't who they were going to become at the time, right? That's understandable for sure. But that was one thing that I thought was interesting. Like I said, I knew a lot about the uh, Frank Zappa stuff. I knew about his time at Berkeley and how uh, he ended up getting the job with uh, Frank Zappa. I knew about a lot of that stuff because my introduction to Steve Vai was way back in Guitar Magazine's one of the uh, first mentions of him. Uh, And like I said, we'll get more into that as we go. But that was it. And I just enjoyed the documentary as a whole. Yeah. Surprise wise, what surprised me, what still surprises me is it, you know, West Side Story. Like I've heard that story a couple of times where the West Side Story soundtrack is really his first connection, real connection to music. But then I keep forgetting he's Italian, right? So that probably is not a huge stretch. And West Side Story is very, very musical. 
And so I guess in the end, when you know everything he's done, maybe it's not that big of a surprise. I didn't realize he quit Berkeley. I thought he had graduated. I, I did not realize he quit before he graduated. And I don't think his story's unusual. I think a lot of the people that end up going to Berkeley that go on to be famous anyway, a lot of them just don't finish out their time because they feel the pull of something else pulling them towards it, right? Ultimately, what he wanted to be was in playing guitar in a touring band. And even though he said he enjoyed his time at Berkeley uh, and there was always somebody to jam with, his end goal was to, you know, get in a band and go on tour. And I think at the end of the day, he knew the only way he was going to do that is by getting his ass out to California and trying to make that happen. And I think at the same time, he was uh, really honing his relationship with Zappa, you know, transcribing all the music for him. This is during my audition. He says, you know, and Frank would like play these things on the guitar and, and he had a certain technique, but he wasn't like a shredder or anything like that, you know? And he'd play something, he'd say, play that. And I go, okay, and I play it. And he goes, okay, now, play it in 7-8. I say, okay, and I, I play it in 7. He goes, okay, now play it reggae 7-8. And I go, okay, and I, and I do it. And he goes, okay, now add this note. Okay, and I do it. <laughs> Playing reggae 7-8, and I'm adding these notes. And he goes, okay, add this note. And it was impossible. It just was physically impossible, not just for me, but for anybody. You know, I said, oh, I can't do that. <laughs> and he goes... He goes, I hear Linda Ronstadt is looking for a guitar player. <laughs> I thought the other part that was cool, I don't know if you caught it, but he mentioned something about that he didn't want a regular recording contract, so he ended up creating his own label, and he got four and a half points on that first record. Yeah. Dude, that record's platinum record. Yeah, I'll tell you what, that was, you're right. You uh, tweaked my head a little bit, and there were a couple other things that were... I learned from that documentary. One is is exactly what you talked about is that he learned early on some of the ins and outs of the record business and became a little bit savvy at uh, negotiating his own contracts, which I think is, I don't think Vi is hurting for money. I think Vi is very stable in his financial situation, uh, regardless of whether he was the main name on the album or not right because he wasn't the main name on the david lee roth album he wasn't the main name in white snake or even alcatraz for that matter but he still figured out how to make a pretty damn good living with his solo stuff and then uh as we talk about it more his endorsements have gotten him more money than any of his record sales by far which includes uh his deal with ibanez yeah, that was a big thing. And then I didn't know that he's had a long, successful marriage with his wife, Pia, who uh, uh, I know her because she was in the movie Hard Bodies, but I, I didn't necessarily know that she was the original bass player in Vixen. Yeah, they've been together a long time, which is kind of cool to you know, hear a story about parents who supported him. I mean, his dad sold his life insurance policy to put him through school. He's in a long-time marriage. Like, it's kind of nice that it's not all just sex and drugs and rock and roll and accidents and snorting ants and whatever else. That It's like a normal story. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much the opposite, right? He didn't have a bad family life. He had a pretty decent family life. 
his dad had a stint with alcohol, which drove him away from alcohol and drugs, which, you know, that's good. That's successful. And then, like you said, he's been in this marriage for a while, right? He's been married to Pia and they've got kids and, uh, he's, he's gotta be, uh, going on over 20, 25 years, right? With her, which in the, in the music business, that's almost unheard of. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, that does that doesn't happen. There are very few cases of that. Pat and Neil, <laughs> you know, Pat, <laughs> Pat Benatar and Neil Geraldo, they're a success story, and there may be a handful of others, but quite often not the case. Yeah, yeah. So since this documentary came out, and we want you to check it out, like I said, it's an easy, easy watch. We wanted to kind of talk about songs that Vi was involved in that we love, right? This isn't really a top five, this top five, that some of my favorites are on here, but I also wanted to just kind of share, Hey, if you've not heard Steve Vai or didn't know he was involved in XYZ, he wasn't involved in the band XYZ, but you get what I'm saying <laughs> that you might want to give it a try. So I'm going to share my first two songs here. So my first song is a song called wire in wood from Alcatraz. And yes, Alcatraz had Ingvay for, uh, at the beginning, and the album's called Disturbing the Peace. And I joined a band called Alcatraz, which was a metal band in the 80s. They had Ingve Malmsteen in the band. And, you know, Ingve Malmsteen is just this unbelievable virtuoso neoclassical type player. And uh, so when I joined the band, uh, you know, it was 
wacko vi, you know, play, you know, <laughs> play metal. And uh, I brought a different kind of a uh, color to it, I guess. And we made a, a wonderful record, really. Uh, it's called Disturbing the Peace. And um, we went to make a second record on Capitol, and uh, I got a call from Dave Roth, David Lee Roth. He was just starting a solo band. And Billy Sheehan, who was working with him at the time, had recommended me. We went down and we hit it off and made a couple of records, sold millions of records, and had the best time you can possibly even conceive of touring. Those days are over, man, and it's a shame. (laughs) Vi has said in an interview, so check this out. I joined this band after they fired Yngwie Malmsteen in 1984. I'll never forget the first gig. I had one day to learn the entire show. They had three shows that they had to do. The first one was in Riverside, California, and nobody in the audience knew that Yngwie wasn't in the band anymore. And most of the people in the audience came to see Yngwie. I remember approaching the stage and hearing the entire audience chanting his name. You should have seen their faces when they saw me. Okay, so... You know, it's 1984, 1985, around there. There's no way to get it out there. We've talked about, you know, the people know Ace was out and Vinny was out there. This kind of stuff happens. Disturbing the Peace was the only album, Alcatraz album, that uh, Steve I was on. At the time of the release, it was Vi on guitar, Graham Bonnet on vocals, Jimmy Waldo on keys, Gary Shea on bass, Jan Uvina on drums. Wire and Wood is a song that I was talking about. God Bless Video was actually the first single. MTV didn't play it because they thought the song was too religious. It's got nothing to do with religion, so I don't know. I guess they didn't listen to the song. But if you ever get a chance to see that video, dude, that video is absolutely hilarious. You need to watch the video. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Wire and Wood was the B-side on that single. This song, you know, it's got a cool pace. I like the guitar riff. Steve is absolutely going off where appropriate. It's one of the listenable songs on the album because I'm not a huge Graham Bonnet fan at all. And uh, the guitar solo absolutely fits. And it is, that guitar solo, I'm just going to say, is smooth like butter. And I don't know how to say it any other way. It's something about Steve's way of playing and how he touches the strings that when he wants it to sound smooth, it is literally his calling card. It just like melts onto the strings. I don't really even know. It's not a sweep. And it's not a pick. It's somewhere in between, and it's hard to explain. I'll tell you my uh, next song, and then I want to get your thoughts. The next song I wanted to share, Building the Church, and it's on an album called Real Illusions Reflections. So it was interesting. Stephen just said he had a couple of solo albums after Passion and Warfare. He actually had eight solo albums after Passion and Warfare. I own them all. (laughs) I listen to them all. It's the only instrumentals I really listen to because – you know, we know that Vi mostly releases instrumental albums. And what most people don't know if they don't listen to it is normally what happens with an instrumental song is you get a guitar riff, obviously, you got the whole music going, and then the guitar is usually the melody instead of the vocalist as a verse. And then you can kind of tell like where the verse is, where the chorus is, where a bridge might be. And that's somewhat similar with Vi. But they're not straight ahead. Like if you listen to Paul Gilbert, it's a little more straight ahead about this could be a song with a singer if you just replaced it with the vocals. With Steve, they're full compositions. There's all kinds of layered shit in there. There's keyboard riffs. There's guitar riffs laid over them. There's weird alien sounds. There's, you know, he plays a lot of the notes with a whammy bar in his hand. So they're always kind of these weird hitting notes. I would tell you that it kind of turns some fans off because it's a little too weird at times. 
I enjoy the hell out of Tell me what you think about these two songs. All right. So let's start with Wire and Wood. In the documentary, they talk about how Steve would reuse things. And Wire and Wood was a great example of one of those things he reused. The intro to Wire and Wood, that first little riff, is something that started way back with Zappa. Like he used it with Zappa, then he used it with Wire and Wood, then he used it with one of his solo. I think uh, he ended up using it four different times, they said in the documentary. A couple of times with this solo, once on Wire and Wood, once with Zappa. Uh, And he explained in that interview uh, why he enjoyed using that riff and what it did to him musically. This Alcatraz record is interesting to me. 
it's got some good stuff on it. I'm sort of like Sonny where I don't know what it is with Graham Bonnet. Maybe it's because he looks like somebody's dad. It's, it's, <laughs> I, I, I know that you shouldn't be drawn in or worried about how somebody looks, but it's everything from the way he looks to his stage mannerisms. I just, I don't know what it is, but that being said, I like a lot of Graham Bonnet shit. Like I like some of the stuff that he did with rainbow. I like a lot of the Alcatraz stuff. It's really, it's interesting to me. I don't necessarily love his voice, but I like the songs that he's on for whatever reason. So there's a lot of stuff on this Alcatraz record that I like. Building the church, I wasn't aware of at all because I'm not, I don't love solo instrumental records. I'm just not a huge fan. I have to be in the the mood to listen to it. And when I listen to it, I like it. Like I think Passion and Warfare and some of Steve's other solo stuff is fantastic. I really think it's great, but it's not a record. It's not records that I just put on and sit down and listen to. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's good background music. You're working around the house, you're mowing the lawn, you got it in your ears. Yeah. You don't need to remember the melody. You don't you're not gonna sing along. Like it's great walking the airport to gate to gate music, right? Because it's just it's very pleasant and it's interesting to hear. And they're not like ten minute songs either. No, agreed. And I'll say this, you talked about Steve Vai's calling card. I think a lot of what Steve Vai's calling card is is in the production, the way that he produces things. He loves doubling and tripling that guitar and harmonizing his own guitar lines. And he's kind of a control freak about a lot of that stuff. He talks a little bit about that in the documentary. To me, I know that like Joe Satriani is surfing with the alien, but honestly, Steve Vai, out of the two guitar players, not to take anything away from Satriani because Satriani is amazing, but Steve Vai really is the freak of the two guitar players. He's the one that's the alien out of the two guitar players. He's the one that has the most left of center stuff and plays the most left of center stuff to me personally. That's the way I feel about it. And I think a lot of that, like I said, comes from the production, but I liked the instrumental building the church. I thought it was good. I liked wire and wood uh, from Alcatraz. So uh, I, I enjoy both of those compositions as they, as they go. I started to study uh, composition and theory in, in like ninth grade. I wrote my first orchestra score and uh, <clears throat> just played the guitar a, a hell of a lot. You know, it was in rock. But it was funny because I was writing this orchestra music and then playing Kiss you know, with my friend, with my band, my friends. So let's talk about a couple of compositions from me now. And I'm going to start as Sonny did with the Alcatraz record. Sonny, did I tell you that I saw this tour? Oh my God, dude, I'm too young for that. <laughs> I saw this tour. Unfortunately, it was not with Steve Vai. It was with Danny Johnson. And originally, I went to go see it because the opening act was Rough Cut. And it was Rough Cut and Alcatraz, and they were playing a small club in a beach town called Destin, Florida. So I went there in my younger years to see the show. I ended up meeting a lot of people in both bands, including Wendy Dio, because she was there that night, as, as many people know, uh, she managed Rough Cut. They were on their second 
tour. So I think they were touring for Rough Cut Wants You, which was their second album. And it was Alcatraz touring for Disturbing the Peace and Danny Johnson was the guitar player. So I didn't get to see Steve Vai. I don't remember a ton about Alcatraz that night. Uh, I just remember as a whole, I enjoyed the show. Uh, so I enjoyed both bands. It was a, you know, it's a small club, probably less than 500 people at this club. And it wasn't packed by the way. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think there were a ton of people that knew who Alcatraz and, and rough cut were to be honest. The first song that I am selecting uh, for people to listen to is a song that I think could have very easily been a David Lee Roth song and been on a David Lee Roth record. And in fact, when you listen to this song, listen to it and hear Dave singing it versus Graham Bonnet. But the riff to me is very Van Halen slash David Lee Roth, almost sort of a very melodic pop riff check out this song called Painted Lover. Now, before I get your opinion on that, I'm going to share this next little story and this next song. And this is really how I discovered Steve Vai. Uh, 
back when I was a youth and had grandeurs of being a guitar player and wanted to be a guitar god before I realized, oh, I don't have any talent. My bad. <laughs> my story my story's actually not unlike Sonny Poonies. It's a lot like it. But anyway, we all want to be guitar gods until we realize, oh, that takes practice and you have to have uh, actual talent. And I didn't want to do any practice and I didn't have the talent for it anyway. But I used to branch off from the Eddie Van Halens of the world and get into like jazz and different things. And I was reading guitar player magazine and just trying to listen to all these different guitar players. Right. I got into a lot of different jazz guitar players and stuff like that. And that's probably one of the reasons that I love bands today, like uh, Steely Dan or, or um, uh, Al Demiola, just different things that are left of center from the metal world. And I got a guitar player magazine and it came with this flexi disc. Now I swear that mine was green, but I, I don't, they, they talked about it a little bit in the documentary, but a flexi disc is this little like 45 flexible record. It was like bendy. I, I may actually still have this somewhere in a magazine. I don't know. I kept a lot of that stuff from that time. So it may be pressed in a magazine somewhere, but it came with this flexi disc from Steve Vai called the attitude song. This is where I first heard of Steve Vai and I put this thing on and I played it and I thought it was like from a different planet. It, I couldn't understand any of the stuff this guy was doing. I was so intrigued with what he was doing and the sounds that were coming out of his guitar that I wanted to know more. So the Attitude song, which later came out on his flexible solo record, that's the first time I ever heard of Steve Vai. So check this out.
The Attitude song was a piece of music that was uh, recorded on my first solo record, Flexible. And uh, the guitar player was doing this new thing where they would put these little floppy disks in the magazine. And I sent them, you know, there was a culmination of things that, uh, that really helped me to launch. There was, you know, the Frank rumors and the, the things that I did with Frank. So whenever you, if you're a musician with Frank, you all of a sudden have this, you know, this uh, reputation for being great. Absolutely. You know? So there was that. Then there was the Attitude Song guitar player really blew people away. And that was a money punch, man, because that, that kind of, and I'm not, you know, I don't mean to be patting myself, but that kind of guitar playing was really not done then. You know, it was that that song was kind of a, a groundbreaking song for its day. You know, I mean, I had I had unique guitars to play that stuff. You know, I I chopped up my guitars and did things to them so I can even play that kind of stuff. And um, I'm not, you know, not that it was superior to anything else. It was just, you know, just different. Um, so had you heard these two songs, and uh, what are your thoughts on them? Oh, absolutely. I've heard these two songs. Painted Lover, you are dead on. Ross should have sang that song, because my only problem with that song is Bonnet, because it has a very Steve Vai-type guitar lick mm-hmm. that if you just took the vocal off it, it could have been on any of his instrumental albums, and that power metal voice on top of it don't always sound right. And you can totally hear Roth doing these this melody and lyrics, right? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So I'm just like, why is Bonnet singing? Like that album is overall a very tough listen for me. Although I love Vi, Mm. it just, I just don't enjoy Graham. The Attitude song, I found flexible afterwards. And we'll talk about how I kind of got into Vi because it connects with my number one song, but, or my favorite song, because that's on my list today. But Attitude song, I found it afterwards. I have, I think three different copies of Flexible because it came on a flexi disc. Then it came out on, I got the original pressing and then it was remastered and he's made a lot of money off me on (laughs) Flexible for sure. But that song, man, like if you want to really give Steve a chance There's a lot of sounds in there though. And I've seen Steve live and I'm telling you, he's got that whammy bar in his hand and he doesn't let it go too often. And it's like how I can't even figure out how to play a chord and make it sound the same without all that shit. How the hell are you hitting the note that you need to hit and hitting the whammy just right all the time? Like that must be impossible. Good ears. (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. And those long lanking fingers aren't hurting them. I can tell you that. Oh, yeah. My God. He's got like a freak hand, right? His his yeah. fingers look like spider legs. He's got, he, I, I would like to, uh, because I've never met him in person, but I would like to put my hand up against his. He has long fingers, uh, which I think probably add to uh, his ability to be able to reach things that probably the average individual can't. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. All right, we're going to take a quick break from this episode. As we said, we like to do with these thanking the great episodes is when we're featuring an individual and it can be a producer or a guitar player or drummer or singer or a manager. We're not focusing so much on 
bands as much as the individual. So that's kind of how these Thinking the Greats episodes go. Uh, you can go back and check some of the other ones out that we've had. We'll continue to do these because we want to throw love to a particular individual and this is the best way for us to do it. Hopefully you learn something that you might not have known, or hopefully you hear something that will intrigue you enough to go out and check out the artist. So the best way you can help out the podcast and keep us going is to go leave us a five-star review. Leave that five-star review on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. Just go there. It takes two seconds. Uh, usually we have the links in the show notes. So just scroll down there where you're listening to the podcast, hit that link and leave us a five-star review. Let us know that you're liking what you're hearing and that you want to hear more of it. We always appreciate that. And it really doesn't take you too much time. Doesn't cost you a dime. Thanks for listening. And now back to our regularly scheduled program. Okay, so for my next two songs, I pick songs that uh, possibly folks have heard if they're rock fans. Uh, they're a little bit deeper cuts. The first one is Feed My Frankenstein from Alice Cooper, and it was released on his album, Hey Stupid. So by now, I mean, Alice has probably played with every guitarist on the planet, but in 91, he releases this album. It was his 12th solo studio album. And you hear Steve Vai on the song. You hear Joe Satriani on the song. They got Nikki Six to play bass, and Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, is helping with some of the spoken vocals. So it's definitely my favorite song off the album. The lyrics are very Alice, you know, silly at times, and I don't want pizza, like just stupid shit. But it's a catchy as hell song, and the music is done so well. And during the solo, you just kind of have this like alien guitar type space alien, I don't know, conversation almost between the two guitars. So Vi and Joe just really sound good together.
And then I had a hell of a time with my uh, next pick because it is one of my favorite songs. And I, I was going to make it like, it is one of my Vive favorite songs, but there's one song I like just a little bit better. And that's Wings of the Storm from Whitesnake, Slip of the Tongue. So this album comes out just a couple of months after uh, leaving David Lee Roth, Vi joins Whitesnake because Vandenberg can't record any tracks for the album because he had a medical issue. I remember when it got announced, Dude, I was so happy because it was announced like an hit parader or something. I was already a huge White Snake fan thanks to Slide It In and the 87 record. So I figured, yeah, Vi is going to be outstanding. And for me, it was. For a lot of people, it wasn't. I saw this tour twice. Dude, it completely kicked my ass. Now, what's interesting with Vi, I don't know if he joined his, enjoyed his time in White Snake. Like anytime somebody asks him like, well, what'd you think about the time in White Snake? And his go-to lines always, it was what it was, right? And I don't think he doesn't like David or he doesn't like Whitesnake or didn't like the music. I think what, and this is just a personal opinion. I don't know this for a fact. My guess is the gig paid well. It helped get his name out there and continue to put his name out there because Passion and Warfare was about to get released, but he probably did not enjoy playing other people's music. And when you listen to the stuff that he does on his solo albums, it doesn't sound anything like Whitesnake has ever written. So I'm sure it was just like, man, you got me in this box and I don't really like being in this box. Now, that being said, Wings of a Storm, dude, song has awesome pace. It's a hidden deep track gem off that album. And the guitar solo, 77 seconds of pure enjoyment. It's one of the top 10 guitar solos of all time for me. I love that song so much.
tell me what you think about these two songs. Okay, so let's start with Feed My Frankenstein. I told you before we started recording, most of the listeners know I'm not the hugest Alice Cooper fan. I mean, I can take some of the stuff and leave a lot of it. I just was never really that into Cooper. Obviously, I knew this song because this is one of his more popular tunes. I had no idea that this was Steve Vai and Joe Satriani on the song. So I listened to it. I enjoyed it as soon as I listened to it. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, of course, that's who that is. I can hear hear it for sure in the thing. So, I mean, look, this is one of the songs I enjoy. It's it's fun. And, and by the way, I don't like pizza. Who doesn't like pizza? That's already <laughs> suspect. That's an issue for me right off the bat. But uh, I ended up listening to more of this Hey Stupid record because I kind of left it playing after uh feed my frankenstein i think i told you i liked what i heard so maybe i need to go back and just listen to 80s cooper because honestly just to be fair i have no clue i don't spend a lot of time with cooper although i've seen him twice in concert and think he's amazing so uh there you go wings of the storm white snake so it's interesting to hear you talk about uh the interviews that steve did and when he's asked about his time in Whitesnake, if you watch the documentary, I think it's pretty simple. So when he left David Lee Roth, he left Dave because they were having some conflicting views on direction of the music. And and Steve I was producing Skyscraper along with David Lee Roth versus Ted Templeman. So he just wanted to get out of that situation and go do his own thing. And that's why he left Dave. He was on his way to finish the passion and warfare record, do his own thing and be his own person. Well, right about then that's when he got the call from white snake. So he really had no intention on going from one side gig to another. And that's what he ended up doing. Probably for the exact same reasons that you said, somebody went to him and said, Hey, Steve, they want to pay you good money and it'll give you the opportunity to promote your name and promote this new record before you release it. Why wouldn't you want to do it? And so I think that the overall value of it, he knew that he couldn't turn it down, but in his heart and in his head, he really didn't want to do it. So he ended up doing this record. I think exactly like you do, when I first heard this record, for me, I didn't like it because it didn't sound like Whitesnake. Now, over the years, I've grown to like this record and I accept it for what it is. And I think it is a good rock record. I just don't necessarily think it's a Whitesnake record. You know, Steve, to me, doesn't necessarily fit the Whitesnake mold. I think Wings of the Storm is fantastic. I think the solo is amazing. Uh, and there's some other great stuff on this record, which we'll talk about. But overall, it is kind of the left of center Whitesnake records for me personally. Whitesnake is a blues rock band, and Steve is not necessarily a blues player, right? Yeah, dead on, because he's coming from like a jazz kind of background, right? Yep. All right, so let's get into my next couple of songs. So just like I said, over the years, I've grown to like Whitesnake's Slip of the Tongue. Uh, I recently picked up the reissue, which has some really good stuff on it and then remixed and all that good stuff. I absolutely have always liked the first song out of the gate. The first time that you hear Steve on a White Snake record is Slip of the Tongue, the title track. And even though I felt like this song was way different 
than what I was expecting for Whitesnake. I like this song a lot. Uh, it kicks ass and it, the solo in it's crazy and you get a taste of what you're in store for as far as Steve Vai's playing goes for the rest of the record. So Slip of the Tongue is something that I think the listeners should hear from the White Snake era, Steve Vai. Incidentally, this to me is when Vai was at his coolest because he had the blonde streak in his hair. So he kind of was, you know, paying homage to, to that Joe Perry look from the 70s. And I just think Steve looked really cool at this point in his career.
the second song, well, I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the David Lee Roth era of Steve Vai, right? That's what really skyrocketed him to fame, I think, for the most part, is getting that gig with David Lee Roth. And that first record, Eat Him and Smile, was just amazing. There's a lot of great songs that feature Steve on this record. But one of the ones that I absolutely love, and it was so fantastic live, and it just grooves and moves and just feels super great to me, and that is Bump and Grind from the Eat em and Smile record. Now, I could have gone with a song like Elephant Gun because Elephant Gun might be one of my favorite songs off that record, and Steve Vai tells a really great story uh, in that documentary about uh, bumping into a guy that was kind of an asshole because he was jamming to bump and grind <laughs> and had no clue that he was bumping into Steve Vai while he was jamming it. But uh, bump and grind, just a killer tune off of that Eat em and Smile record. <laughs> Yeah, so these two songs, I, I already said I love the slip of the tongue record, but could you imagine, like, Adrian's in the booth, he can't play, and he's watching Vi do all this stuff. He had to have been shaking his head going, how the fuck are we supposed to play this live? Like, I don't even know what you're doing, <laughs> right? Like, I'm not saying Adrian's a bad guitar player, but, you know, even that riff, it's like, uh, like, there's all kinds of weird things happening in the back. It's like, Adrian's like, I, what is he doing? Yeah, just a completely different type of guitar player, right? Adrian, yeah. Adrian's a blues player, and and this guy is is uh, just uh, creating something way left of center. 
that song's got a lot of Zep feel to it, though, man. <laughs> when when people were saying that White Snake was the next coming of Zeppelin, I can hear it in that song. Zip of the tongue for sure. Oh, you talk about songs you can hear it in. It's Judgment Day. Judgment oh, Day yeah. is Zeppelin, basically. Yeah. And then Bump and Grind, dude, that's straight off of VH1. You could put that on VH1 and it would fit. Love it. Yeah. It, basically, it's Eddie Van Halen reincarnated with alien sounds. That's exactly what it sounds like to me. I love it. There's no no doubt about that, but uh, that's what it sounds like. I love that song. Yeah, just such a great groove and, and stuff. And, uh, you know, if you had any doubt, given Vi's background up until this point, if you had any doubt of him fitting into kind of that Van Halen, David Lee Roth mole, it sort of went to sleep after you heard a song like this because, I mean, he can hang uh, with the best of them in a tight groove like that. And it just, it fit everything uh, that David Lee Roth was at the time. And uh, that's a great, great showcase for him. All right. So the last song I want to share, and Stephen and I had shared four out of the five. We didn't share our last song. So I don't even know what Stephen's last song is. I'm assuming it's not mine just because of his other picks, but we don't know for sure. My last song connects to my connection, my first connection with Steve Vai. And I'm doing something at the house. MTV is on in the background. And, uh, you know, this, I'm watching this video it almost looked like a mini movie. And I'm, I'm like, oh, that's kind of a cool video. I mean, what is, what is that all about? And the homies kind of dress weird, but that's, that's really funny. And then I remember hearing, wow, wow, what? I'm like, what the hell is that? And dude, Yankee Rose, I have hot for teacher love for the song Yankee Rose, no matter how many times I've heard it. And it has been thousands. Dude, I air guitar every fucking time. I love that song. It was because of Yankee Rose. I bought my first guitar, which I don't play guitar, was a Loch Ness Monster. There was 777 of them made. I got number 762 signed by Steve Vai. I went out and bought a flame guitar because of going crazy. Those were my first two guitars. <laughs> That's amazing. And I'll tell you what, you the listener, you guys know, Sonny and I aren't often on the same page. We go left to center quite often. We don't always see eye to eye, but on this one, we absolutely see eye to eye. Even though it's a more popular pick, there is absolutely no way that we can deny that the first time probably the majority of hard rock fans heard Steve Vai was on the song Yankee Rose. And the first thing you get to hear is that whole conversation between Steve's guitar and David Lee Roth. And I'll tell you, put yourselves in Vi's shoes, right? David Lee Roth leaves, the, <laughs> leaves Van Halen arguably the most influential guitar player in rock history, the most famous guitar player in rock history. And here you are, some Italian kid, and yeah, you played with Frank Zappa. None of the hard rock fans probably know that. And you're basically coming into this, and yeah, you played with Alcatraz, big deal. Nobody really knows or, or has a uh, sense of that. And here, or cares. Or cares. <laughs> and you're faced with basically filling the shoes of EVH, right? So, And you can't be a copy. You just can't. You can't come out there playing Eruption. You can't come out there finger tapping. 
you got to do something different and you got to do something that's, I won't call it groundbreaking, but I'll call it uh, jaw dropping. How's that? And they ticked all the boxes. I mean, Yankee Rose, yes, it's quirky. Yes, it's fun. The video's amazing. Yes, there's that quirkiness with the conversation of Dave and, and Steve's guitar at the beginning, but the song as a whole, the overall song is great. It's a great song. You cannot not sing that song. And no matter how many times I hear Yankee Rose, I always find myself singing it. I always find myself enjoying it. And so neither Sonny nor I knew what we were going to go for, but you can't deny that's the number one song, if we're going to share it, uh, of Steve Vai that we both love. You got to enjoy some Yankee Rose. Here you go.
crazy part about that song is there's not really a guitar solo. It's kind of at the end a little. Yeah. But Steve's going off the whole song. The whole there's not really a riff either. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 nuts. I mean, we touched on it. So the bulk of what Steve Vai accomplished really came in a fairly short period of time, right? Basically six years, six or seven years, all this stuff happens to Vi. And he's won three Grammys. I don't know if you knew that or not, but oh, he's, yeah. he's yeah. won three Grammys. He's been nominated, I think, 13 or 15 times. And I'm assuming that um, the bulk of that is uh, instrumental type stuff. But really, he's a pretty good businessman that early on made some great decisions for himself that netted him money. Sonny and I talked about it a little early on, but none of the record sales, none of that stuff is anything compared to the amount of money that he has made from his guitar endorsements and his designs, especially with Ibanez. That netted him more money than any of his record sales. And that's why I say, you know, uh, I, I respect Steve Vai not only as a, as a guitar player, but as an overall individual, right? He seems like a very grounded individual. Yeah, good guy for sure. So let's uh, connect it to Kiss. You wanted the best, and you got the best. The hottest band in the world, Kiss! It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. So Vi has not done any Kiss covers because it's Kiss and Steve Vi doesn't do Kiss covers. All right. So they don't have a ton of history together. But in 91, the second Bill and Ted movie was released called Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. That soundtrack had a cover that Kiss did called God Gave Rock and Roll to You. Well, on the soundtrack, if you have it, it's the version everybody's heard. But in the movie, Vi actually adds an intro and a little bit of extra flavor throughout. So we wanted to play you that version. So here is God Gave Rock and Roll to You from Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey with some Vi flavor to it.
God gave rock and roll to everyone. He gave rock and roll to me. rock and roll for everyone. Save rock and Wild stallions, <laughs> wild stallions rule, dude. Wild stallions rule. Uh, what's What's funny to me is that we've gone through this episode of thanking the greats uh, on Steve Vai and haven't once neither one of us mentioned Crossroads, the movie, even though they discuss it in the documentary. And if if you want more on that, I I would encourage listeners to go out to our friend Brian Davis over at Damn Good Movie Memories. He and I did an episode based on Crossroads where we go through the Crossroads movie. And I'm sure that we talk about Steve Vai a little bit in there uh, as far as the dueling devil, as they call it, uh, which ended up being a lot of that solo ended up being in different solo songs that he's created over the years as well. Yeah. I thought uh, the line I heard about that movie uh, fit perfectly Vi basically stole the show and didn't have one line in the movie. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I enjoyed that movie. I watched it not too long ago in preparation. I mean, look, it it is what it is. It wasn't a huge movie, but it's it's fun to watch, uh, so to speak. And uh, you always get the uh, prize at, uh, towards the end with Steve Vi, so it's cool with me. So wrapping this up, you know, here's here's what I'll say about Steve Vi. When people hear that he's my favorite guitarist, it's like what about Ace and Ingve and Eddie and Randy and all these great guitarists? See, Steve, to me, the timing of when he hit the scene is 86 when I discover who the guy is and it's right as I'm graduating from high school. So you got the timing, you got the colors, the style, the flash, the butter playing, the bands he was in, the weird alien sounds, the slither the guy moves like kind of like a slithering snake and he is flashy when he plays and it's fun to watch. I've seen the guy solo instrumental and enjoyed it. And there was not a note saying that night. It was amazing. It, it, Paul Gilbert does something very, very similar, but just not as good as Steve to me. I love him, love him, love him. That's why I own two guitars. There you go. I mean, Steve Vai to me, 
uh, is just an amazing guitar player. He goes on my list of other amazing guitar players, but he's definitely recognizable in terms of when you hear him on record. He has a specific style. And to me, those are some of the marks of a guitar god, really. You know, so I enjoy the person he seems to be. Uh, and he's kind of a low key, uh, person, but when, uh, you know, you go back to some of the archives and look at what kind of a wild man he was on stage in his earlier years and just some of the amazing theory as well as, uh, his playing abilities, uh, that's cool to see. Uh, so I enjoy Steve Vai and the majority of body of his work as well. So if you haven't heard a bunch of Steve Vai, Go check out some stuff. I think uh, we gave you a good start today. And Steve Vai, if you're picking up this episode and listening to it and wondering why the hell these guys are thanking you, thank you from me and Sonny. We appreciate everything that you put into your music. Thank you, dude. Appreciate you. And thank you, the listener, for listening. And uh, keep those comments coming. We had an interesting... uh, (laughs) We had an interesting message we put out there. We got a lot of interesting messages back and we are going to do an episode on that very soon should should be uh really good until next week see ya later get ready to shuffle rattle and roll play us out boys Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. Let's let's start with the very beginning. Uh, when 
did you decide that you became interested in music? Did you come from a musical family, or how did this come about? Well, oddly enough, nobody in my family is very musical. My mother played the contrabass in high school, but that's it. The only one of my family or lineage that I take after is maybe my great-great-grandfather. He played the violin, but that's it. And he had a size 13 foot like mine and big hands. So what does that mean? That means you got big shoes and big gloves, brother. (laughs) It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 